I want to congratulate you guys on achieving steadfast tonight. It's exciting. All right, I told you guys we were starting a new series, and tonight we are. The title of the message series is Everything I Never Knew I Always Needed. Feel free to take notes. It's going to be a good one. What this series is about is it's about people. And for those of you guys who are looking at me thinking, why am I wearing a microphone? It's for podcasts. <laughs> this message series is about people. What I mean by this is it's focused all on the fact of what you need, what you need in your life to make you feel fulfilled, what you need in your life um, in order for you to have a pleasant life, a, a, uh, a life that actually accomplishes things, a life where you feel like you're not just dragging your feet. That's really what the whole thing's about, that each of us have specific needs in our lives, and each of us might even have needs that we don't know yet that are supposed to be fulfilled by the church. And that's really what our focus is. Our entire focus for the next four weeks is on how the church is to provide for these needs in our life and how the church really functions in so many different ways in order to provide what we really need. And uh, as we go through this, I hope that uh, you will recognize what you need from the church, maybe some things that you don't even know that you need, that you do, and you really grow to love the church. To start, when I say the word church, a lot of people have misconceptions. They have ideas on what church is. Uh, a lot of people think that what I'm saying is, is when you come here to this building, these needs are supposed to be fulfilled, and that's not what I'm saying at all. In the Bible, we see 12 times the usage of the word church, and every single time it refers to the people. It never refers to a building. It never refers to a specific place. The church is a community of believers, and that's what we are. So when I say what the church is supposed to provide, what I'm saying is, is what a group like us is supposed to provide. When you come here, it's not because of this building, or when you go to a church, the building, the house, that's not the point. It's the people inside of it and the relationships you have. The people are the church. And those people are supposed to provide these for you. So I want you to take right now, wash away all the misconceptions you have of the word church, because I'm going to use it a whole lot in these next four weeks. And when you hear it, your thought needs to not be a building, but it needs to be the people of God who you come in contact with every day. Get in with that, because it's going to help a lot when I talk. So we refocus. I really pray that the next four weeks are going to challenge us to realize how the church is our needs fulfilled. And that really, as our community, when we look at this, there's two sides. One is the fact that the church provides it, and two is the fact that we're the church, which means we provide it, right? So it's kind of a call in both directions. Um, you might notice some of these really stand out. You're like, wow, that's exactly what I need. And there might be some that you don't even think about, but I want you to focus on those as well. Because as we go through this, you're going to realize that even though you might not see these standing out in your life, they're all really important. To be balanced and to have a, have a fulfilled life, you need every one of these aspects in accordance with it. So to start, our very first week is the church is a hospital. And that's why I'm wearing my fancy stethoscope. Um, some people have bad connotations of hospitals. I knew that this was going to be our very first message with, with uh, 
this series. And as I'm planning for it, this last week, um, trying to work out all the kinks and the details of the message, I end up coming along, and Tuesday night, I'm going home from church. I feel great when I leave church. By the time I get home, I have a sore throat. I'm coughing and hacking. I go to bed, wake up the next morning, and my throat is killing me. I got a sore throat in 15 minutes somehow. I don't know how. And I'm laughing to myself as I wake up the next morning, and I'm like, I'm going to preach a message on the church on Thursday, and now I'm going to be sick. This is really funny. So I, I find irony in it. I go to work on Wednesday, and as I'm trying to take a head bolt out of a four-liter Ford, a Torx bit snaps off, and I crack my finger against the head, and blood squirts out from underneath my fingernail. It's all puffed up, tons of blood underneath the fingernail. It's still bleeding tonight, okay? I smashed it so bad. It's bruised. Cassie thinks it's broken. And after I do it, I sit down and I'm icing it, and I think, tomorrow I'm preaching a message on a hospital, and now I'm sick, and my finger is killing me. So I said to my dad yesterday, I said, honestly, when I go to work tomorrow, today, Thursday, now, I'm like, keep me away from anything that could take off a limb or explode because I'm pretty sure I don't want to be preaching a message on a hospital with sickness, a messed up finger, and like a respirator. (laughs) I don't want that. So thank God nothing insane happened today. I actually was thinking about it. I'm not superstitious at all. I'm I'm milling this big piece of head today, and um, the bits fly really fast. And I was like thinking, I'm like, this could just explode and kill me right now. I swear. I never have those thoughts, but apparently when, you, when you're worried about it, they actually come up. So, um, I am okay. My finger's healing. Let's talk about the church as a hospital. All right. The church of Jesus provides the very needs of a hospital as what people see is what we're supposed to provide. People a lot of times think the church is a place where a bunch of people who are really good hang out together. That's what people from the outside a lot of times see. That's where a bunch of good people get together and they sing a song and they hang out. And they really couldn't get it more wrong. Jesus set an example of what the relationship with church is supposed to be. And you can find it in Matthew 9, 12. Go ahead and turn there, actually. 12 and 13, excuse me. If any of you guys have been Christians for very long, you realize the fact that you absolutely love Jesus Christ. He's such an amazing God. And this is one of those stories when you read it, um, it's awesome. If you guys don't Get it yet? You just continue to turn. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 9, 12 through 13 says this. He's sitting with a bunch of people. Let me preface this. Excuse me. He's sitting with a bunch of people who are really, really kind of the scum of the earth. He's sitting with tax collectors. He's eating dinner with these people. And all the people who are the religious leaders of the day come up and they say, surely this guy who claims to be the son of God couldn't be eating with these people who defile him. They're sick they're not holy whatsoever. And he basically really kind of questions Jesus. And um, this is Jesus' response. He says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is what the church is all about. And this is where Jesus started it. His ministry wasn't sitting around with a bunch of perfect people talking about how perfect they are. He was sitting down with people who had messed up lives. Prostitutes, tax collectors, liars, cheaters, stealers. 
That's who he was sitting down with, and that's who he was eating with, talking to about God. This is what the church really is. The church isn't about us, it's about them. And what I mean by that is all the people who don't even understand what they're supposed to have in Christ yet. So as we look at it, the first thing I see that the church provides, just like a hospital, is salvation. That's number one. Many, many times, actually 40% of all people who go to a public hospital are admitted through the ER. This happens because of accidents, usually. Um, people don't really go to the hospital until it's absolutely necessary, a vital problem. People uh, get hit by a car, get set on fire, struck by lightning, limb cut off, exploding machining bit, in my case, thinking of that, um, falling off a building, getting shot by a gang war, uh, having a heart attack. And when this happens, they go to the emergency room. And this is a place where time is of the essence, and they need to be taken care of immediately. And this is really where it starts with what the church provides, is salvation, which is what these people need. Without the emergency room, a lot of these people are going to die. People who get hit by cars, all this different stuff. There's physical damage so great that if they don't receive attention, they're going to die. And that's where we come in. Very, very often, people's relationships with God start out of something very drastic. Some people really just kind of ease into it, but a lot of times it takes something that actually hurts, something that is awkward, something that shakes us from what we, what we normally know and makes us refocus and think maybe there's something more. Sometimes it could be like a family member or maybe yourself going through these exact same things that admits you to a real hospital, you know, like getting hit by a car, getting struck by lightning. You might think, hmm, I could die. And you have the very same thing where you have to go to the emergency room as in the church. What I mean by this is when it's drastic sometimes, people realize their need for salvation. And they have a heart attack. And I like that. Because the Bible talks all about the fact that God's all about the heart. He's not about our mind, about knowledge, but what he's about is our love for him. And what people do is, is they have a spiritual heart attack where they realize the fact that my spirit is dying and it's going to hell and I have to do something about it right now. And that's where the church really steps in. They get rushed into the emergency room, which is us, the church, a loving group of people that when they come in, um, they're not told to sit down and wait. They're not told to um, hold on. The doctor will be with you, you know, a little while. But they're rushed in and they're immediately taken care of with the ER. You know, what's really interesting is ERs do, when they're really busy, they do a, a thing called triage, which is, uh, it's a French word that means basically to separate. And when people come in, they basically identify who needs to be saved fastest. This person's got a mortal wound. This person has, you know, a semi-mortal wound. All these different things different levels of what can be done. And really, we're supposed to do the same thing. Someone comes in and you realize the fact that this is a desperate situation. And you, you go to them immediately. You know what? There's been people before that I've, I mean, I've heard stories and I've seen people before where you, you see them and you realize that this isn't even something that you're going to deal with at the end of service. You know? They come into it, maybe a church service, and you realize the fact that this isn't something that I'm even going to wait till we're done here because it's way too important to let go even for a minute. Because you can see the fact that there's way too much brokenness and there's way too much pain. There's something wrong. And that's where we come into. A lot of times, 
um, when people come into the ER, kind of an interesting thing to think about. They come in with CPR taking place. People are unconscious, right? Happens all the time. People come bring it in and they do like CPR on them. Do you know what CPR is? Cardiopulmonary resuscitation, right? Breathe, pump their chest, keep the heartbeat going, you know, pumping blood throughout their body and, and providing oxygen uh, to their brain. A lot of times people come into the church in the exact same state. What I mean by is this, is they're not even living anymore. They've gone through so much of a tremendous pain and so much tremendous heartache and destruction in their life that they're not even alive anymore. All it is is the people who love them around them who are just trying to keep them alive. People maybe who do have faith, who are praying for them, people who just love them and are trying to keep them as long as they possibly can you know, trying to build them up even when they're so knocked down. Especially if you think in the spiritual realm of people who are friends. I mean, they're friends who I know who I pray for every single day. And they're really not even living. And what's interesting about this is that CPR can't take place forever. It doesn't work. Sooner or later, something has to happen or the person's going to die. You can't just do CPR on someone forever. And when people come in like this, Sometimes they're barely even alive, and that's where the church, as in us, has to step in and grab a hold of them and rush to do something to bring Jesus to them. I want you guys, um, actually you don't have to turn there. Romans 6.23, it explains this really easily. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What it's saying is the fact that these people come in with CPR and because of their lives how they are, their, their whole entire goal right now, their whole entire direction is death. And what we do is we bring them Jesus, which is life. We show them that. And they can grab a hold of that. Um, the church is there to show them the salvation of Jesus Christ. Um, he's the very center. If you guys turn to um, Ephesians 2, go ahead and flip there. This is a good one. It's right after Galatians and we're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. This really shows the difference between what life is with and without Jesus Christ. It says this, As for you who were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of, of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What it says is it says, even while we were dead in our transgressions, that we were given life through Jesus Christ. It's exactly what I'm saying. People come in absolutely dead because of what the world, what their life has been, and we get to show them Jesus Christ, which is life, which is eternal life. We have such an amazing gift to be able to give to them. The church has such an amazing gift to be able to provide for people who are in this location in their life. 
Acts 4, 8 through 12 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Leaders and elders of the nation, we are being questioned here because of, what, because of us doing a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed in the name and the power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the man you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. So salvation comes from only one place, and that's Jesus Christ. You can't get it anywhere else. So those people are in this dying state, and there's one answer that the church has. There's one answer that solves all these problems. And when we tell them about Jesus Christ, we can see a life completely transformed. It says it gives eternal life. I myself experienced this. My life was death before I really found Jesus Christ. I came to church, but my life was a sadness. My life was emptiness. My life was trying to achieve stuff for my own pleasure, and it wasn't working. It was just painful. And when I finally came to the point where I realized the fact that this isn't the life that I want, that this is a life of death, and I finally asked Jesus Christ to really be my Savior, I was brought into life. And my entire goals, my entire plans changed. And even in times of adversity and sadness, I had so much joy because I'm alive in what he has. You understand the fact that the church has the cure. Um, and so many times we don't make it clear. We don't make it clear. We have something that's absolutely amazing inside of our grasps as a church. We have the ability to be able to offer salvation. Um, it says in John eleven, twenty-five through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus Christ said this to people who are around him. He says the fact that even though we die, we will never die. ERs operate as fast as they can because life and death hang in the balance. If they don't do something right now, people are going to die. The church sometimes operates slowly and weakly, and we don't get passion for this. We realize the fact that when people come in and they're in the state, we're dealing with something that's so much bigger than what an ER deals with when people come in. He says, even though you die, you're going to live forever because you know me. When people come in, we're not only just dealing with their lives here, we're, de- we're dealing with their lives of eternity. When they die, are they going to spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven? Eternity in death or eternity in life? And there's sometimes when people come in, it's at ER. This is the time of salvation. And you can see it in people's lives. And it's up to us, it's up to the church to step in and say, Jesus Christ he came and he died on the cross for you and explained this message of salvation. Those of you guys who haven't heard it, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross to pay for every single one of those sins. When these people are at this moment that they realize that there's something so wrong, it's because they finally realize the fact that this world and everything in it's corrupt. There's something completely off kilter. That everything that we see here is sinful and is dirty. And that our own lives are sinful and dirty as well. And the Bible talks about the fact that in that, in that sin, when we die, we go to hell. But because Jesus and God loved us so much, Jesus came to the earth, 
He died on the cross, and his blood paid for every one of those sins. It's such an amazing and beautiful story, and it's so true, that I said it before, even though I struggle with sin every day of my life, Jesus' blood is more powerful, and it covers every single one of those. That when I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, it not only washed away all the sins I had committed, but all the sins I will commit to the very day I die. That if I struggle with sin to the very day I die, when I do, Jesus wins, I go to heaven, Satan loses. That's the amazing salvation that the church gets to offer to people at this moment. It's so much better than slamming paddles to their chest and shocking them back into life like all the TV shows go. I guess no one's really made a sweet drama about people getting saved yet. Maybe we should. I don't know. But it's so much more exciting than people being saved in this life. People being saved for all eternity. So much bigger. So much more important. People need salvation, but sometimes it takes to that point of desperation to see it. And when they do need salvation, the church is the one who needs to provide it to them. Not only salvation, but healing is the second main thing that the church needs to provide to these people. Throughout life, there's a lot of pain. Tons and tons of pain. And when it becomes too much to bear in people's lives, they often go to the hospital. They kind of deal with the aches, with the small things, but when it gets so bad, they finally realize that they have to go get something done. And um, oftentimes this sickness and this affliction haunts them for so long, and they need a place of healing, which is the hospital. They accommodate when they get there with prescriptions, um, change in diet, surgery, things like that that the, the, uh, the, ho- the hospital, the doctor will provide to them. These are things you need to do. And the church is supposed to be this very healing. Um, Jesus spent his biggest portion of his ministry healing people. If you guys have read about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was one of his most predominant passions as he went around. He constantly laid his hands on people and healed them, took away sickness, affliction, blindness, leprosy, things that were common in the day, he took away from them. Um, we see this in, uh, in Mark 3. It's one of my possibly most favorite stories about, uh, about Jesus' healing. I want to read it to you if you guys want to turn there. Mark 3, 1 through 6. And it says this, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them who were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I love this story, because Jesus is so cool. First of all, he already knows what these people are thinking. They're standing around him saying, we're just waiting, because you're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath. They're such law-obeying Christians, these other people are, godly people. You're not supposed to move on the Sabbath and do all this. And they're just waiting for Jesus to break this commandment that they think is so unbreakable. And he blows them out of the water, and he says, you know, let me ask you this. Just like I said, it's the heart. 
It's not about rules. It's about our heart. He says, what's better, to do evil or to do good? Because let me tell you, if Jesus looked at that man and saw the shriveled hand and then walked away, he was doing evil. Because he knew what that man needed. He understood what he needed, and to walk away would have just been evil. He understood that he could give him that, that he could give him the healing. And he said, what's better, to do evil or to do good? And he heals this man. Jesus had this amazing passion for taking away people's physical afflictions. You know why? Because what it did is it, is it, showed, it showed power of God. When he did this, don't you think this guy went away thinking, this guy really has something? If Jesus would have said, hey, I'm the son of God, you should believe in me, and lay out his story, the guy might have believed. But when he told him, stretch out your hand, the guy did and his hand was healed. Don't you think that that kind of shocked him? Made him think, hey, maybe this guy is really for real? Same situation we get into with healing in the church. It needs to be a passion of ours because when people are healed within the church, physically and mentally, what happens is their strength, strength of faith in Jesus is increased. When they see a physical change or a mental change inside themselves, they realize the fact that Jesus might really be at work. It's not just a story. It's not just a book I've read before or a sermon someone's preached to me, but it actually made a difference in my life. And that's where the faith really changes. Healing is about taking away pain and discomfort that is associated with hurt. Physically speaking, the church should still be the center of healing. It's not anymore, is it? Our institutions, our hospitals are now the place where we go if we get sick. Let me tell you, uh, back in biblical times, not so much the truth. Uh, James 5.14 says, Who uh, are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And their prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make them well, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. I completely believe that still today, God is a healing God, that people with physical afflictions are healed every day by God's amazing miracles just to prove that he is God. Totally. Totally. If you guys have never been healed before, talk to people who have. There's a lot of people with stories uh, who have been healed. See Jonathan up here. Exactly. Okay. God can physically heal us. And that's really important. But we're also going to talk about our focus, um, what the church is, is often to provide an emotional healing. That's probably the most common. And what we mean by this is that what I just said healing is, is removing the pain and the hurt that's associated with an accident, with a hurt, with, with something that happened in their life, that's exactly what we're supposed to do with the physical and emotional pain that comes with all of the hurt in their life, all of the pain, that we're supposed to actually be there. We're supposed to be the prescription. The church is supposed to be the prescription and the healing. So cool. We're focusing on healings in the, in the context of our lives and our souls. Um, the church is a place that's supposed to demolish all these things. Jesus is the healing. Don't get that mistaken. First uh, Peter 2.24 says, He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. You can be healed by his wounds. Jesus is a healing. Don't forget that. But the church is the facilitator of this healing. What I mean is this, is that when people come in, we provide comfort, we provide um, a listening ear. We show them the fact that other people have been in the exact same place that they have been. 
that maybe our very selves, we were in the same location you were. It's not like you're alone on this. And we can bring them Jesus Christ as this healing. We can show them that um, they can talk about their problems, that they can be confident and okay with the fact of saying what this pain is, that they don't have to hide it anymore, that it doesn't have to be something that's hidden in their heart, but that it can be something that can be talked about. And that in this relationship, we can really work out this pain. Um, People have to live through so many tough times in life, and if we're there, whether in small groups, uh, temptation teams, if we're there as the church, we can help alleviate this pain. We can help facilitate this healing. As we, as we spend time in this, prayer is really the center. We see this in the Bible. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great, powerful, great, great power excuse me, and wonderful results. So as we get together and we get to share, share all of our pain and we pray together, it says the fact that as we confess our sins to each other and as we pray for each other, it says that we will be healed. The healing will take place. That's the church's, the church's deal. And also, sometimes prescription isn't enough. That's really kind of the prescription aspect of it. But sometimes people are rushed in, you know, they get diagnosed and they say, you know, you have to have, go have surgery. And the church is supposed to be that very same surgery too. The people... Remember, the people, the church, they're supposed to help people cut out the sin in their life, the things that are killing them day by day. Just like a cancer, people come in and they say, you have to have this cancer removed from your body. People come in with this pain and this hurt, and the church looks at it and can say, I can see exactly what the problem is. I can see the sin, I can see the situation, and what you have to do is you have to cut it out of your life. These can be addictions, sin, abusive situations, anything. Um, And this is really us building each other up, encouraging each other, and demolishing these strongholds. Romans 6.23, okay? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Okay? They're going to die. We have to heal them. We have to, even though it may sound drastic, to tear something out of somebody that seems like a part of their life sometimes, you have to. We have to be the surgery as well and show people this has to be removed. And not only healing, but restoration is the third point that the church really is. Even after you've been healed, the wound is sutured up, you're not bleeding anymore, whatever. Uh, the bandages are on. You're not going to die anymore. There's restoration. And both the hospital and the church is supposed to provide this. After you're, you're healed and you're done, what happens? There's checkups where they look at the, at the situation again. There's uh, physical therapy. There's different things that come with these, you know, salvation, healing. And they work on the restoration aspect. Restoration is bringing you back to the point that you were before the accident, or maybe even making you a little better, taking away that, that pain and working you to the point where now you're back in the right spot again. I can't think of a better representation of what we do as the church, what the church is supposed to do for people. Just as therapists work muscles and tissue, the church should stretch people and make them work out their faith, the things that they realize, um, you know, this has been an issue in my life. I can't focus on Bible reading, and I have so many problems with this that the church is then there to say, 
I want you to stretch. I know you're used to reading one or two chapters. I want you to stretch, and I want you to read five. You know, someone says that they have a, a situation with this. You know, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. And, you know, say, I want you just to stretch out. I want you to increase your faith to work on these things. Not only that, um, but as we work on the failures as well, um, our faith can become stronger. If someone has a downfall in their life where they can't get out of it, situation after situation after situation, just like an injury, what we do is we strengthen the muscles, basically. After you strengthen the muscles, you're more apt to heal. You heal faster. So I keep on getting caught in this rut. As we work with them and we make them stronger, what happens is it's easier for them to climb out of this rut. We make their legs, their arms stronger. It's easier for them to get away from this. God, excuse me, sorry. God wants to restore you. First Peter 5.10. You can turn there or just listen to me. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Oh, steadfast. I like that. Oh, man. To make sure that progress is being made and to prevent further problems, um, people often, too, come in for checkups. You get healed, and they say, come back in a few months. We're going to look at it. Come back in another few months. We're going to look at it again. Um, The doctor looks over whether you're healthy or not, inspects maybe things that before he had seen that are problems. He looks for things that might be getting worse. And a lot of times they give advice on what you need to do to become healthy. People say, I'm not feeling good, and they might give you a few tips that come with it. This is perhaps a perfect analogy of what our accountability is, our small groups that we talked about. People come back in, and we already know, because maybe we were already part of their salvation. We already saw their healing. The church already saw that part. And now people come back in for their checkup. And the church is there to say, Hey, remember that back injury you had? How's that doing? You know? Is it okay when you bend over like this, or does it hurt? The same thing. People come in, and we already saw their healing from, let's say, an addiction. And when they come back in, the church is there to say, You know, how's it been going with that? You still having problems with it? Is it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? The same exact thing. Partners, temptation teams that we have. This aspect of accountability. Um, We look at each other and we also check for things that might become worse. When a doctor does a once-over on you, a physical, whatever, he's looking for not just drastic things, but little things. Um, obviously, if you have like a huge tumor hanging off your side, he's going to be like, you might want to get that taken care of. But he's looking for little things as well. Um, you know, he's not just looking for huge things, but he's looking for the things that are going to lead to it. He might look at, I don't know, a mole on your back and say, you know what, that doesn't look right. It doesn't seem like much, but maybe we should get that checked out. People come in and they just mention something little. And the churches will say, you know what? That kind of seems like a warning sign to me. It seems like that could get a whole lot worse. That could really get serious. You know, whatever it may be. Someone talks about a relationship that they're in or, or anything. And the church is there to say, I understand that seems small right now, but I could really see that going somewhere bad and getting a lot worse. And what we're doing is that's really how we're going to stay healthy. We're going to stop the problem from getting worse where we have to do salvation and healing again 
you know, people have to come in and be rushed in to get help. But you, know, you say, maybe we should just take care of this right now. You know, I know it's small, but take a look at it. We give advice on how to stay healthy, just like a doctor will. Say, you know, what's our, our basic things, you know, as a, as a church? You need to read your Bible every day. You need to speak with God on a daily basis. Small things that seem like they're, like they're you know, normal. When I say them, they sound pat. Same thing the doctor says to you. What does he say? Stop eating so much. Do more exercise, you know. There's common things he tells us, and that's the church does the same things. They give tips and ideas on how to live a more healthy life. Not only that, but with this accountability, we build each other up. We give encouragement, and we give direction in life. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are doing. This is, is, is just like when people come in and they need help, right? Doctor's not going to say, You are the worst person in the world. You're a trouble case. There's no point in me even, even spending time with you. No. What he's going to say to you is, um, You know... <laughs> We might want to look at this situation. You're good here, though. You're good here. They always, they always build you up a little bit, right? Your cholesterol is terrible. But you got strong legs. You got strong legs. Let's work from there, right? Both. And what I mean by is this, is that when people come in in our, in our times of accountability, in our times of restoration, right, we help each other in what's good, and we help tell each other what's bad in our lives. Perhaps one of the most important things that the church, the church does, without this accountability, we're not going to grow. People aren't going to come in. People might come in and they might, get, they might get saved. They might even start to get healed. But without this, you're just going to live a life of just down and up and down and up and down and up. And you can't do that. You get sick. You get sick. You can't, you can't live like that. You have to have someone who's going to be there in your life to say, you know, just stop, slow down, take care of this now. So I really, I really pray that the church is actually going to be these things. It's going to be salvation, it's going to be healing, and it's going to be restoration in people's lives. If it's not, then it's not a hospital. Okay? But the church is supposed to be a hospital. When I read through and I, and I see what, what Christ painted as his example, that's exactly what he was doing. He was being a hospital to people around him. He's providing these very needs. So as the church and as people who might not know the church yet, these are the needs that need to be provided. If they're outside of the church, they should be able to see these things when they come in. And if we are the church, then we need to start providing these things to people. That this is our goal. We, we understand that these, this is our parameters. This is our outline. That we're a, we're a hospital people who are coming in. Now, some are thinking, um, the church is my hospital. You already realize that when you, when, you hear this, when you hear these things, you think, this fits exactly. This is exactly what I need. And some of you guys aren't. And um, none of these messages are going to be more important than the next. None's going to be more fitting than the next. So if you're sitting there and you think, you know, the church really isn't my hospital, I really pray to you that um, you would open your mind, maybe think about this again, maybe look over the scripture verses one more time, because the church is supposed to fulfill those needs. There's nothing else that's going to fulfill it the way this does. 
There's nothing else that's going to accommodate it the way the church is supposed to. So look over it just, um, just one more time. The church is to provide salvation, healing, restoration. Think about it. Let it sink down deep. The church is supposed to be our hospital. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight, and I do thank you, Jesus Christ, that the church is to be a hospital, um, just a place that really takes, and um, it's just a place of healing in people's lives. Uh, it's a place where people, when they come to their very end, Lord, that they get pulled back. They can receive healing and restoration, Jesus Christ. Lord, when I read about you, I realize that you were just a walking hospital, that you went around and you did these exact same things. And I pray to you, Lord, that tonight, um, for those people who haven't experienced this, for those people who realize the fact that they need a hospital, but they, they didn't know that the church is where they're supposed to go, that they would just be brought in tonight. I do pray to you, Jesus, that um, if anyone uh, felt this in the message tonight, that they need salvation and healing, uh, that they would find people to talk to. Anyone who's in the audience tonight, uh, if that's the situation with you, come and talk to me. Tell me that, this is, that you felt this in your heart. Um, just find someone, seek someone out who can help you with this. And I also pray, uh, Jesus, that tonight you would just open our eyes, Lord, that um, if we say we're part of the church, that we would get this idea deep down in our hearts, that we're supposed to be the people who provide this, realizing that the church is us. We are the church. So that means we're supposed to provide these things. And I thank you tonight for what you're going to do, and I thank you for what you're going to do in the future through this knowledge. It's in your precious name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.